hear the word of God as it is found in Paul's great theological treatise, the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, beginning to read at the 26th verse. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen and amen. Today we are on the second part of a three-part series concerning that thorny, difficult subject, the will of God. Last week we began the series looking at that as aspect which is called the intentional will of God, underlining, emphasizing, capitalizing the word intentional. The idea was presenting and presented that not everything that happens is the intended, underlying the word intended, intended will of God. Though God has a plan and a purpose for the kingdom and for each and every person's life, not everything that happens is the intended will of God. Now that is difficult for some people to understand, comprehend, and believe. I'm hoping when we look at this in a different way, in an added way, when we look at the other two dimensions, the one that we're speaking to today, the circumstantial will of God, and next week, the ultimate will of God will be able to see how the three make the one will of God. Using the outline prepared by Dr. Weatherhead in his general three points, we're speaking today on point two. The circumstantial will of God, and please understand what you're about to hear, deals with that word that I want you to underline today, circumstantial will of God. 
I think it can be best understood if you will pause, reflect, imagine, and think what it must have been like when God decided long before there was any that he was going to create a world. And I think you'll come to the conclusion that God had some tremendous decisions to make before he created his first act of creation. How would he make the world? Oblong? Flat? Square? Or round? With what would he make it? What would be the basic ingredients that he would put into what he wanted to create in a loving, wonderful, beautiful world? We believe there are four basic elements that God used. Air, fire, water, earth. Those are the four basic elements that God decided to use to make his great, big, wonderful, beautiful world. But he had to decide further exactly what properties would he give these four elements. Fire, that's wonderful for illumination and for warmth. But if fire was to do all of the things that God intended it to do, it would also have to be able to consume and burn and maybe destroy. Earth, if it was to bring forth vegetation and have the power to, to hold big buildings and to produce down in its bowels coal and natural gas and oil, all things necessary for the world, the world would have to be made so powerful in its earth that at times the earth may shake and quake and crack. Wind, air, if it's going to rid the world of all of its pollution, it cannot remain static, it has to move. Well, God, you see, when he gave to air the ability to blow like a gentle breeze, he also had to give to it the property to blow with herkenic force. Water, which covers so much the face of the earth, where is it going to come from? One place we know it comes from is that it drops from heaven in the form of rain. Now God had to decide way back then, before the first day that it ever rained, would God just allow it to rain on the unjust or would he have to decide it would rain also on the just? Big decisions. I think the logical thinking person realizes the decision which God made. We can also realize that when God made all of these things, he had a gigantic decision to make. Would he make these things operate according to some absolute, to some rule, some law, some given? Would there be constancy? 
involved in the processes of this wonderful world? Or would God every day get up with the idea that he'd have to work all day, every hour, every minute, every second, and on into that night, deciding on every circumstance and situation what would be its outcome? You know the answer to that. God developed what we call laws, systems, dynamics, constancies, absolutes, givens. So that when an apple falls from a tree, whether that apple is on the North Pole, at the South Pole, over on the east or on the west, the apple will always fall down, never up. That's the law of gravity. The magnetic field is constant. There are other things like energy, motion, force, thermodynamics aerodynamics, those things that you scientists talk about, work with, and use every day. There are constancies. There, there are things there that you can be sure are going to happen simply because that's the rule, the given, the absolute. That's a decision God made way back then. And then gained God's biggest decision. What's he going to put upon this big, beautiful world that has laws, that, that has givens, that has the basic elements? He would put amongst other things species known as the human being, people. Yeah, but how would he make them? Put them into two classes. Male and female created he them. Except in our latest baptism, female he created only them. We'll get our day. You wait. Yes, but how was he going to create male and female? Would he have them live eternally? Once created? Or would they live only temporarily? Myself, I think God compromised on that decision. He says part of him will live eternally, part of him will live temporarily, and the body is only temporal. But the spirit, once created, lives forever. When he made that decision, he had to make other decisions. All right, if the body is then to disappear from the face of the earth, we have to decide upon some way to do it, and was devised the plan that you and I don't like, in which we fear... He created a thing that he calls good, death. But how's death going to operate if death is to take place, and it is to take place in the human process? God, you see, had to build into the human being certain things that would allow death to take place. And when he did that, he also allowed other things to happen. You see, he allowed the flesh of a little child to be torn, even the bones of, of young children to be broken. He built into all of us the aging process which even that Grecian formula cannot hide. 
He made it that, yes, we are immune to some sickness, but we are vulnerable to other disease. And just so that we may know the difference between the two, God gave us a glorious thing that is called pain. If we did not have pain, we would not know when something is malfunctioning in our body. But when God gave us the beautiful gift of pain, it also meant that people who have sicknesses that are deadly will have to suffer to the end with pain. God had to decide, is he going to make man completely independent or interrelated? dependent upon one another. Because of the latter decision, he gave us friends and, and love and joy and happiness and the support system that can come from other human beings. But when he did that, you see, he also realized he gave us the possibility of knowing what it is to be without love, to be lonesome, to know what it is to be ostracized and without support. Then came the biggie. Would he give to man a mind? Would he give him knowledge? Would he let him think? Yes, but when he does that, you see, he also opened the door to give us the knowledge that there are many things that we do not know. And that's frustrating. And then came the biggie, biggie, big. Does he give to man the ability to participate and to cooperate? In other words, does he give unto people the ability only to be wabots and puppets who respond only to the pull of his string or does he make people so that they can respond voluntarily? Does he make people so that they must do everything that he says, or does he give them what theologians call free will? But you see, when God gave us free will, he opened up a big box. Because though God gave us free will that with the hope and the intention that we would respond to his love and embrace him, he also gave unto us the freedom to turn our backs upon him and to shake our fists in his face. God intended when he gave us freedom that we would say yes, but when he gave us that freedom, he also allowed us to be able to say no. Now, I can go on and on and on infinitum, but we don't have time. I hope you're beginning to get the point. The point is simply this, that all things that happen are not the intended will of God. That's last week. And add to that this particular idea, not all things that God allows are things that he intended. In other words, there is a difference 
between allowance and intention upon what God permits out of the necessity of the decisions he had to make before creation and what he intends us to use or to do with our creation. That's what we call the circumstantial will of God. When the things that do happen and God allows to happen are not the intended things or the will of God. And I'm sure some of you sharp people at this time are saying, "Uh Aha, Dick, you're playing with words. That's a somatic problem. I don't believe so. I believe there's a big distinction in God's mind between what he allows and what he intends, just as there is distinction in our minds between what we allow and what we intend. You parents, you're very generous with your children. Many of you have given them automobiles, motorcycles, weapons. Eventually, you've given them that great gift of freedom so that they can be free to show that they are responsible human beings. That's been your intent. You have given them these ideas, these gifts, so that they can find happiness. Your intent has been that they find completeness, that they find destiny in their own lives. And when some of the circumstances of God's laws, the freedom of the individual, has changed that gift from one of happiness to a curse and has brought destruction. You do not think that you have allowed that, though you have. What is the common defense and cry? I never intended that it be used for that. You skimp, you save, you sacrifice together with them and under what you feel is the guidance of God's eternal will, you send your kid off to college. And he gets up there and he goofs around and he plays around and he doesn't study and he flunks out. You did not send him there with the intent that he fail. You sent him there only with the intent that he would succeed, but he has failed. And no parent in his right mind would feel that that is what he caused or she caused even though they allowed it. But you see, it was not their intention. Court of law understands this. Murder is murder. We all know that. But even the courts of this land claim that premeditative murder, intended murder, is worse than just murder. There's a difference between what God allows and what God intends. But you'll say, how can I know the difference? And I have to say to you very honestly and truthfully, there are times you will not know the difference between God's intended will 
And God's circumstantial will, that which he allows, which he did not intend, but because of various circumstances, is allowed to take place. There are times that you can just not tell whether that specific act, that particular circumstance, is the intended will or the circumstantial will of God. Only God knows that, and we're not God. But just because we cannot say all the time that we are sure that this can be labeled this way and that another, let us not fall into the logic to believe that we can never tell the difference, because we can. There are specific instances that a wise person knows is definitely not the intended will of God. Take the Ten Commandments. If you want specifics, it is not the intention of God, ever has been or ever will be, that we should worship, love a God other than the God we know through Jesus Christ. It is not God's intention that we should make any graven image and serve that image, no matter how beautiful, how expensive, or, or how attractive it looks. It is not God's intention that we take his name in vain and ask the Almighty to curse, blast, and damn anything that God has created for good. It is not God's intention that we work every day of the week and that we go a week without a Sabbath rest. It is not God's intention that we in any way dishonor our parents. It is not God's intention that we kill that we commit adultery, that we steal, that we bear false witness, or that we covet anything that belongs to our neighbor. And if that is any, if any one of those things are happening in your life, or you are seeing them happen in the community into which you are interrelated, you can be sure that you are living in the circumstantial and not the intentional will of God. The intentional will of God is that we love God with all of our hearts and do unto others as we would have them to do unto us. And when that is not taking place, we are living in the circumstantial and not the intentional will of God. So though you cannot always tell it, there are times probably as many times, if not more so, than when you cannot tell the circumstantial will of God. Well, what do you do? What do you do when you are sure that this is not the intended will of God? May I suggest four beacons, beacons, four beacons. One, the first thing, beacon. Be conscious of the power of personal and in corporate sin. Be conscious that there is such a thing in this world as sin. That every one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, spiritual if not physical. That every one of us has this innate desire 
to want to play God. Every one of us wants to be the self-appointed director of the universe, which includes your destiny as well as mine. That every one of us is selfish, self-centered, and has many times ulterior motives which would serve only self. Realize that. When things are happening that you know are not the intended will of God, don't just blame it on a devil or on the Satan. That many times is just a great cop-out. To relieve yourself of the personal responsibility, but realize that maybe 90% of the evil in this world is caused by personal sin. And call it by name. Be conscious of the power of sin. Be converted to Jesus Christ. Realize that Christ alone is the one who can take away the sin of the world. Realize that God in Jesus Christ is the only one who can relieve you from the burden of guilt that sin, sin brings. He alone is the only one that is the way, the truth, and the life to your destiny. It is only by accepting not only his saviorhood, but his lordship that you will ever find the intended will of God for your life. Be converted to Jesus Christ and be convinced of the power of God's Holy Spirit. Whatever situation, whatever circumstance you are in, be convinced that God sees it, God understands it, God's heart is broken just as much as is yours. Be convinced that God loves you throughout it all, that God will never leave you or forsake you, that there is absolutely nothing, no circumstance that will be ever able to separate for you from the love of God. Be convinced of this. Be convinced that God loves you. And you're trying to the best of your ability to love God no matter how difficult. And that you are trying to do the intended will of God where you are in whatever circumstances have taken place. And then fourthly, be content. Be content by knowing that God is working in every circumstance, even though he did not intend it, though he did allow it. That he is working in every circumstance for the good. Now listen carefully, because many people feel that they find comfort in believing that God's working for the good in all things. That's not what it says. It says you can be content by knowing that God is working for the good in all circumstances if you love God and if you believe that God is calling you to his, his intended purpose then you can be content in whatever circumstance you find yourself to know somehow, some way, God will work out His ultimate will.
And that is next week. Amen. Father, we've tried things that these people should not have heard erase from their memories. But things that you wanted heard press into their lives. And now may the grace of God, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, the peace and power of the Holy Spirit be with you and the intended will that God has for your life. Amen.